Welcome everybody to our podcast today. My name is Jane and I'm here with Dr. Linia Patel. And uh, just a little bit about Linia, I'm sure most of you already know Linia. She has written regularly for our FitPro magazine, for our blog, for our newsletter, uh, as well as having four courses on our online platform from sports nutrition to nutrition for menopause and many others. So whiz across there if you um, want to get more nutritional information after this. But today I'd like to say welcome to Dr. Linia Patel. Welcome. Thank, thank you so much, Jane. So good to be here. And I'm really excited about having this conversation. Yeah, and this, the conversation sort of has come around. And the reason why I wanted us to chat about this is that I talked to a lot of PTs, group fitness instructors, gym instructors that obviously work unsociable hours as we do in our industry. Like when we are working in you know, our busy times, uh, early mornings, mornings, lunch times, after work, evenings, when other people are having their social time. And that in itself sort of leads us into um, somewhat irregular eating patterns. And mm. so, I mean, your background, um, you know, obviously you have a, um, a Bachelor of Science in Physiology and Biochemistry. You recently um, have a PhD in Public Health. Um, I know that, you know, your passion in writing and podcasting is on taking that technical information and making it usable to the, to the end user. So, with all of that background um, and this podcast being specifically more for the fitness professional, um, what is, you know, what are your thoughts on that kind of lifestyle? I mean, does it eating at these irregular times, early mornings, catching meals on the run, does it really affect our nutrition, our health, our gut biome, our hormones? Mm. Um, how, how does it affect us doing this? Fantastic, do. fantastic question, Jane. And I must just add is um, I've also trained as a fitness instructor and a personal trainer myself. And um, I mean, I stopped teaching classes probably 10 years ago. So I actually have firsthand experience also because I used to teach classes at the end of my dietetic work. So I have firsthand experience myself of mm. what it's like, or I, I've worked in environments where I'm constantly seeing fit pros, um, you know, manage back to back clients and trying to get their meals yeah. in there. Um, so very, very relevant. And I think um, I'm going to answer the question in two ways. The first thing I think that's really important for fit pros to get right is to make sure they're eating enough. Um, mm. And the reason for this is, is that we have something called, you can dip into something called low energy availability. And what's interesting is with my research hat on, um, a, a new study showed that most people who are uh, professional athletes but especially with women, 88% of them are not fueling themselves enough. And when you look at that recreationally, so just people like you and I who perhaps just like to keep fit, 45% of us are not fueling ourselves properly. So what does that mean? Does it matter if you don't really fuel yourself properly? Absolutely, it matters. And probably the people who, the sex that feels it the most or quicker are females. So what happens is when you're not putting enough energy in, your body goes into energy save mode. So think of what happens with your cell phone. I'm always running out of battery. So I'm always activating my um, battery save mode. And when my battery save mode get, kicks in, the light is dimmed, the apps don't work. Um, it's not functioning. My phone is not functioning at the best. And that's exactly what happens to the body when we don't eat enough. It starts down-regulating key hormones, 
particularly reproductive hormones and thyroid hormones, so hormones that um, boost up your metabolism. Um, and so what women start experiencing is perhaps they start having irregular periods or missing periods, um, mood is affected, um, things like muscle mass are affected, vitality, you know, libido, et cetera. And then in the long term, what I sometimes see in, in clinics is people are experiencing young people. I had a, a girl in clinic the other day who was 25 years old, runner, but not feeling herself properly. And she's ended up with multiple stress fractures as a result of that whole process. So that's obviously the extreme end but as a result of not fueling yourself. So fit pros really need to make sure that they're eating enough and they prioritize their refueling. So you have your calendar, you've got your back-to-back -back, um, clients, you've got your classes in there. Where in your diary is the opportunity for you actually to refuel yourself? You know, put that 20 minutes in so that you can make sure you're getting a snack or you're getting some, some lunch. Um, so even after your training, you're putting fuel back in so that you don't run the risk of basically entering into low energy availability. So both men and women can enter into low energy availability, but women have um, uh, the tipping point for women is is much lower. So they feel the effects quicker than perhaps a man because of the hormones that we have. So the first thing. Yep. Sorry, go on. So the first thing is make sure they eat enough. And then the second thing would be, I would say is making sure that they actually front load our calories because the new thing in nutrition is this idea of um, chrononutrition, chronobiology is actually when we eat matters and the body tends to process food best earlier in the day. And this is why shift workers have such a challenge I mean, it's probably a little bit combined with the fact that shift workers' environments, if you think of the people who work in the NHS, you know, they've got vending machines and they don't have the best yeah. um, food available. But we also know that if you're then fueling with the wrong type of fuel too much later on at night, your body is just going to metabolize it slightly different. So it doesn't matter whether you eat late, but even, as long as you're eating the right nutrients. But when you are working out and when you are using your body more, you want to fuel up more. Yeah. And so when you just made a comment there, it doesn't matter that you're eating late as long as you are getting the right nutrition, et cetera. Um, what is the, the theory about, you know, how eating late can affect your sleep? Um, you know, you metabolize it differently or actually, you know, your metabolism will be less. Um, yeah. you, what, how, does that, how does that work? Do you think? I mean, is that a, is that a point? It is a point because when we sleep, what's happening? We slow, our metabolism slows right down. And this is where your core body temperature comes down. And that actually induces all the hormones like melatonin that help you sleep. Mm. So if you're eating a big, massive meal an hour yeah. before you sleep, is your metabolism going to be slowing down? Absolutely not, because your body has just received a whole lot of fuel that it has to digest and process. So actually, yeah. sometimes when we eat, our metabolism goes up, depending on what we eat. This is called the thermic effect of feeding. Actually, our metabolism can go up. So ideally, you want to be eating, say, two hours before you yeah. sleep. But... Yeah, I know that when I used to finish classes, I would get home at nine, if mm. not, you know, then, and I wanted to be in bed for 11. So, yeah. you know, and I had to eat. So if you're, you're then eating something easy, exactly. So you're eating yeah. something easy to digest. So it could be perhaps what I was very good at and what I'd really advocate to, to fitness professionals is that they're organizing their meal prep. And, you know, there's yeah. that saying proper preparation prevents poor performance. So if you yeah. are actually fueling yourself the majority of the day, your calories in the day, come the evening, I can actually just have, for example, I don't know, um, something like some fish and vegetables. 
So eat fish is light. Uh, light. Um, yeah. Or perhaps I could even maybe just have um, Greek yogurt with some nuts and a little bit of fruit. So again, it doesn't sound like a substantial uh, dinner, but it's okay because actually, to be honest, I fueled myself throughout the whole yeah. day. So actually, what that last meal of the night is for me is just my post-exercise snack, just because I've taught a spin class or a body pump yeah. class before. Um, so rather than sitting down and having your main meal with your pasta, your bolognese and your vegetables mm-hmm. and loads of cheese, you know, that's too much. Yeah. Um, and going back to how you would load the, you know, your calorie intake during the day, mm-hmm. um, the point that I was going to make before where I said, no, go on. Um, was, I rudely I, interrupted I, I, like I'm doing now. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. I, I, the thing is, I have to say it when I think about it or it goes real fast, um, is that um, I was going to ask the question about, is it sensible? I mean, I know in one of your um, pieces that you've written for us before, you've said, you know, have breakfast like a king and, um, you know, lunch like a queen and then dinner like a pauper. So basically you load all of your your calories and nutrition into the front end of the day. Would you say that's the same for the, you know, the active fitness professional? It is the same, but, you know, Jane, if we're being practical, it's sometimes not practical. PTs are starting their first client at 6 a.m. I mean, really, am I going to expect them to wake up at 5 a.m. and breakfast like a king? Absolutely not, because I know I wouldn't. <laughs> so, so what I would say is uh, what fitness uh, fit pros need to do is make sure perhaps they're having frequent meals. So perhaps it could be that before their first session, they're having like a banana loaded with some nut butter. Then actually when they have a gap, uh, you know, after their first morning session, they're sitting down and having a proper breakfast whether they can get some toast some avo and an egg or something like that or maybe breakfast on the run that then overnight oats that they've made themselves so really focusing on getting the nutrient dense options in so what i mean by that is is like things like your nuts your avocado perhaps even maybe some dried fruit because those are um, foods that are high in calories but also high in nutrients um so in terms of meeting your energy intake or your calories in they're going to be foods that you absolutely want to take on board so it could be two ways of doing it it could be that either the fit pros have frequent snacks and they're really organized they have to plan prepare Mm, take your snacks with you um and I've seen lots of repros just focusing on protein. So they just go and eat packets of chicken, you know. So yeah. actually, no, that's not enough. Where are the oat cakes coming in? What can you put on top of the oat cakes to kind of balance that up? Um, you know, whether that is a little bit of cottage cheese or whether you take an avocado and you have an avocado with it. Um, so you can still eat some of the chicken because you obviously still need protein, but make sure you're still getting some good uh, slow release carbohydrates in and also those good fats and making yourself maybe some trail mix with nuts and dried fruit, maybe some bits of dark chocolate, a little bit of coconut, that type of thing that you can kind of snack on as well is going to be good. Yeah. Um, then leading on right from that, actually, eating on the run, being prepared, having snacks on the go, what is your view on um, like the supplement bars that are available? Are there, you know, in inverted commas, good ones and bad ones? Um, you know, what should the FitPro be looking for in yeah. a good one? You know, what, what's your view on that? So I totally get the protein bars or bars out there. They're convenient, right? Um, but I am a dietitian. So for me, my philosophy and my mantra is always going to be food first always. Because yeah. what we get from whole food, we can never, never replicate whether it's in a supplement or whether it's in a bar. Um, so where we can eat food, but totally get that they're convenient. So um, if you're using them more as a 
sometimes versus all the time to basically fuel yourself. I'm much more a fan of that. Um, so there, don't, there are going to be ones that are better than others. So what I would just say in general, if a protein bar is going to be a snack, I'm going to look for a protein bar that has a one-to-one -one ratio of protein to carbs. So most protein bars come with 20 grams of protein, for example. Then what I'll be looking for is make sure you get the 20 grams of, of carbs with that. So make sure it's one-to-one. -one. Sometimes bars are low sugar because they'll have sweeteners like stevia in it. So then they won't have the carbohydrate. But remember, a balanced diet, an optimal performance diet is always going to have some carbohydrate in. So I would then maybe take my protein protein um, bar that is got 20 grams of protein, maybe less sugar, and then have a banana with it. So I'm still always pairing up the two. So if yep. it doesn't have the one-to-one -one ratio, then where am I getting my carbs in, in terms of it's easy banana? I'll do it like yeah. that. So that's in terms of a um, snack, just maybe in between clients. If you're using it as a recovery for yourself, for a training session you've just done, then we know that optimal recovery happens with a two or three to one ratio of carbohydrate to protein. So it's reversed now. We right. actually need more carbohydrate than protein. And actually just 20 to 30 grams of protein contains enough of the amino acid leucine, which is a bright chain amino acids, which switches on protein synthesis. So, and we need to have the, the carbohydrate absolutely because that replaces the glycogen, the carbohydrate stores that we've lost when we're exercising. And although fitness pros don't think about carbohydrate enough, the carbohydrate mm. is essential for producing insulin, which then produces growth hormone, which then helps the protein being built. So it's not just about protein for recovery. It's about yeah. getting that two to one ratio right. So I would say then say you can get recovery bars that are absolutely in that ratio that are the two or the three to one. So they're slightly different roles, yep. whether you're having it as a snack in the afternoon or mid morning or you're recovering with it as well. Yep. If you're using it as a meal replacement, mm, because for me, <laughs> you, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously not a complete meal. It's missing so many micronutrients that I would want you to have. So if you are having as a meal replacement, you're going to have to pimp up that meal a lot with making sure you're getting your fruit and vegetables as well and maybe a bit more carbohydrate or protein um so i'd be probably less likely to recommend uh, bars as meal replacements but as snacks or recovery then it's fine the one thing that i find is interesting jane if, if we think of gut health and this is perhaps where my my um, mantra of food first is important is we're finding with the research that there are certain ingredients in a lot of the processed or ready-to-eat foods um, that perhaps are not so good for our gut health. And those foods, are, those added ingredients are called emulsifiers. So the pro mm. probably the most frequently added emulsifier to our food is something called lecithin. I guess it's hard to say, um, but we don't have much research yet about that um, food additive, but we know that other emulsifiers like one called um, carbomethylcellulase or something like that basically has been linked with causing inflammation in the bowel and changing our gut microbiota. And we know that when we have inflammation, our gut becomes leaky. And so what, when our gut becomes leaky, basically bacteria can enter in and out of the intestine, intestinal barrier, which is not what you want. So too much processed food that contains these emulsifiers, we know is not good for our gut health. 
So fair enough. The studies that have been done are animal studies. They're, the rats have been given a lot more probably emulsifiers than we will consume. But I also know that research is showing that we're eating more processed food than ever before. Yeah. Yep. And especially now with a vegan trend, trust me, because emulsifiers are used to give you a mouthfeel, that nice creamy feel that you get, for example, in, in ice cream, which comes from saturated fat. So if you're taking fat out, if you're using plant-based foods that don't have the same feel, what is the food industry you're going to start putting in stuff that gives you that that yeah. same taste and feel yeah so for me that's why i would say use your protein bar as get out of jail card you haven't had time to prep you out for dinner the night before and perhaps you know you want something to keep you going but don't use it as a absolutely all the time this is my go-to perhaps you want to make your own energy balls um yeah you know, and that's they're easy to make nuts, dates, add some protein powder in there. You know, we're talking, you're already starting to make your own foods without all the additives. They don't last as long. Exactly the reason why they're good for you. Yeah. Okay. Makes complete sense. Great, yeah. great yeah. advice. Um, let me just lead on to um, an, another scenario. Um, I was recently having a conversation with a PT who's a She's a very experienced, well-educated PT. She's been, she's been around for a while. She really knows her trade. Looks fabulous. Um, and a great role model. And we're having this interesting conversation that, you know, she had suffered with orthorexia. Um, and I know that we've written an article on orthorexia, mm. but I still don't understand a lot about it. And I was really surprised because she, I've known her for a long time. I see her regularly and, and she's always looked fabulous. Um, and as we sort of delved more into it, um, she was explaining how she was so conscious of eating well and eating healthily that it almost became an obsession. Yeah. And then within the obsession, it evolved into, into this condition. Um, and, I, and I wonder if I can sort of tie this into it because we're talking about nutrition, nutritional considerations for the, for the Fit Pro. How, how does that happen? And, and what is orthorexia? And how can you identify it? As a Fit Pro, mm. how does somebody who really knows their stuff and would be one of the last people I'd ever think would fall into that trap, fell into yeah. it. And so what are yeah. the signs? Yeah, I mean, the whole, the term orthorexia nervosa was only coined in the late 90s. Um, and the, ac the actual uh, definition of it is still a debate. But what we know is it's characterized by basically, as you rightly said, this unhealthy obsession with the quality of food in your diet, okay? So you're always wanting to make sure that it's, it's kind of perfect and pure. And there are definitely some food rules in there. And then you become also inflexible in some of your eating behaviors. Um, we don't know the actual cause, but what we do know is people who work in health and well-being, so dietitians, fitness professionals, nutritionists who are already working in that field because they're already focusing a lot of it, are more susceptible to it. Wow. And then add, add on that, um, like with other disordered eating, um, people who are then perfectionists, overachievers, yeah. um, in the need for control, slightly anxious individuals, they're much more at risk of it. Then add another layer, social media. Social media, yeah. which then gives us this image of what is perfect, but what is perfect is actually Photoshopped. The idea yeah. that we always forget that Instagram is a snapshot into someone's, in inverted commas, perfect life versus the reality. No one does, yeah. no one posts the reality. Um, and so all these things mean that we're now more susceptible to uh, developing orthorexia than, than ever before. And so what I would say in general is, is that um, there's some certain telltale signs. And I always think that going on holiday, for example, is a good one, because if mm. 
if you, you know, being a dietitian, I look at labels, I'm very conscious about what I eat, but I do that probably 70 to 80% of the time. The, the 20%, I actually don't care what I eat and I indulge guilt-free. The, the key is guilt, guilt-free. Yeah. Because we're very often with orthorexia, you don't even let yourself have that 20 to 30% of flexibility. Or when you do, there's so much guilt um, yeah. associated with it. Um, and so there's those food rules that then become, oh, actually, I don't want to go out because I'm not controlling what I eat. Or actually, holidays become stressful because I'm out m- my normal um, routine where I'm preparing all my lean, clean food. And suddenly, because I'm in Italy where they oh, it's like carb land, um, yeah. it's really going to be stressful. So I would say telltale signs like that. You know, are you always stressing about what you're eating? Um, actually, Or if you go out for a meal, do you have to really think about, oh, my God, what am I going to order? And maybe this will fit into my my plan for the whole week. Um, Or do you have that flexible thinking? Yeah. So that's what I would say. And and if you recognize it, if you recognize it within yourself or let's say you even recognize it within a client, um, you know, you're having that conversation about, you know, oh, you're on holiday. And and we all do on holidays. We, you know, we'll eat too much. We drink too much. And then, you know, that's. That's what it's all about. Um, you always come back to reality. But, you know, they're talking to their clients and they, they start to see some signs of this or within the PIPPO themselves. What do they do about it? If, you know, if someone was listening to the to us now and they go, yeah, that's me, didn't know it had a name, what do they do about it? How can they control this? How can they reverse this? Yeah. Well, I probably want to say, I mean, now, because we know more about it, there is um, a diagnosis. So um, it's called Bratman and Thomas, and they basically look at the two aspects of, of, of eating. So they look at the obsessive behavior linked with food. And then the second part of it is looking at how eating behavior affects the daily life. So this is the holiday speak we're talking. Yeah. Um, and so there is certain criteria, but I would say that um, the fit pros themselves or with their clients will be thinking like, okay, if someone obsessively checking uh, ingredients, and nutrient labels um, are they always concerned about um, health ingredients and then one big telltale sign for me is how many food groups have you cut out are you doing low sugar no gluten no dairy no meat you know the more food groups you start cutting out the more for me that raises telltale signs and red flags in my mind about what's perhaps going on Um, and then spending obsessive hours thinking about food all the time and then feeling very very uncomfortable when it is out of their control of what they can eat I would say would be perhaps some of the signs or symptoms you can think about. Um, You know, there's no actual clinical treatment specifically for orthorexia, but what we know as with all eating disorders is is that the key to um, getting support and help is looking at it in terms of a multidisciplinary approach. So you've got your psychologist super important because a lot of it is uh, perceptions and things going on in the mind and perhaps body image and rules that you've made up in your mind. Then you've got the dietitian. And so my role as a dietitian, when I'm looking, um, when I'm working with someone with a disordered eating is actually just shifting um, the, the, the thinking from thinking that actually there's a good, there's such things as good or bad foods, because there's no such thing as a good or bad food, a, a good food, an apple, we might think of an apple as a good food. Um, but actually, if you ate apples all day long, would they be a good food? No, they would then very quickly become a bad food. Um, yeah. So really stopping that labeling of, of good or bad foods and then bringing some balance in there. And the psychology is absolutely key. So getting the psychology, because then the nutrition comes in after they're in the headspace where they 
they're a bit more open um, to perhaps go onto a road of recovery where we then start challenging them with some of the, in inverted commas, some of the bad foods and getting them to start eating them mindfully and understanding how, if they've cut out whole food groups, how we can balance out their diet um, to make sure that they're actually not running at uh, nutrient um, uh, deficiencies as well. So again, maybe we would need some medical um, intervention as well. It just depends on obviously the severity of it. But I would just say, um, probably starting off with the psych psychotherapy and psychology is, is the key, but then also making sure you link in with a nutrition professional yeah. who can give you that yeah. perspective of what balance is. Um, because we know on Instagram, everybody is an expert in nutrition. And so sometimes we don't really even understand the fundamental um, elements of what balance means to you. And Jane, you and I, balance is slightly different for you and I. So that would be what my job was to say, well, Jane, this is what balance means for you. And Linnea, this is what balance means for you as well. But I think in general, Jane, I mean, I think as, as people working in fitness, as people working in um, nutrition, what a responsibility we have. And I think that we really need to stop and evaluate ourselves because a lot of our own mor moral judgments of food um, and our own perceptions can rub off onto our clients and influence our clients. They listen to us. So yeah. we have a real responsibility to start saying, hold on, what is my relationship with food like? And actually, am I boxing everybody into the rules that I set for myself? And then actually giving somebody, increasing the risk of them running into something like orthorexia as well. So you know, mindset matters, language we use matters. There's no such good or, good or bad foods. And if you are labeling foods, then just take a step back. And if you need the support to be able to just um, really start looking at, at foods almost the same and just knowing how you then put them into your diet in a balanced way, then reach out and get that support. Yeah. And I think, you know, that sort of brings us to the, towards the end, but, um, you know, I, I think most fitness professionals kind of would focus on, their training, they focus on their clients, they focus on their body image because they, you know, they want to be a, a role model. I'm sure that's all part of it. Um, and I'm sure they do focus on their nutrition as well, but probably not as much preparation as planning yeah. um, as maybe they could do. I mean, I, I'm sure most do, but I mean, we could probably all do it better. So Linnea, that's your next course. I'm going to I'm going to see if we can get you to do a, a course for fit pros on how to eat sensibly and, you know, on, on our schedules and with some fabulous recipes for, you know, on the rumbles and bars, etc. Fantastic. No, totally. <laughs> totally, totally. And also just, I think in my mind as what well, the thing that the thought that I've just had is, is also realizing that balance comes through the journey of nutrition comes in different ways. If you're wanting change, perhaps you have to be stricter, but never with the strict food rules. And then the 80, 80, 20 is actually for most of us fitness professionals who are at our ideal body composition, allowing that flexibility. In. And then what does that look like? You know, so getting people yeah. to practically understand actually how that um, changes and how that changes also for your clients as well. So no, yeah. I'd love to do a course on that. So yeah, <laughs> Linnea, as always, thank you um, for your expertise. Um, you know, we love it and we sort of look forward to talking to you again soon.